even if there were homosexuals in our community, they would hide it. It is absolutely ridiculous for anyone to argue that you can have a homosexual man teaching black boys and that he's not going to be able to communicate that he's a homosexual to those boys. Comparing their genitals and their genetic power with those black men and feeling deficient by contrast. So that becomes a form of sexual expression. And by communicating that he is homosexual in some way, shape, form, or fashion, it's going to be propagating the life. The brain will start out of father hunger semen in mouth and semen in anus. That's the gastrointestinal tract. We didn't learn this freakish behavior in Africa. You cannot find brothers in Africa walking around with broken ribs. You don't find women in Africa running with women. We learned that behavior in our sojourn in America. So since we learned this behavior, we can unlearn this behavior. Some people look at your interpretation of these sexual behaviors and call you homophobic. No, I'm not homophobic. Not homophobic. Not homophobic. Welcome, everybody. Happy Saturday, and thank you for tuning in this morning to a very special broadcast called Outside the Dream. Today, we're going to be focusing on homophobia in the black community. I am your host, Vash Bodhi, and I am very lucky to have with me Dr. Sylvia Rue, who is a writer, religious scholar, award-winning documentarian, and was a lesbian before it was chic. We have Gabriel Maldonado, founder and executive director of True Evolution. He is a political activist for the community, appointed by Obama to a task force to help out with equality and actually helping out the planet. I, I, I love Gabriel and what he's doing. We also have Omar Hassan, who is a program coordinator and facilitator of workshops working directly with black gay men of all ages. Uh, this show is about homophobia. Anytime I have a conversation with someone, I always believe that it is very, very important to understand the terms that we are discussing. So I'm going to ask each of you, in turn, to define what is homophobia. Dr. Sylvia Rue, are you on the phone with us? Yes, I am. Fantastic. Dr. Sylvia, will you answer that question for me? Define homophobia. Well, the classic definition of homophobia is a fear, an unfounded, unwarranted fear of homosexuality. But it actually goes deeper than that. It's one of the violence vectors of patriarchy. And patriarchy meaning the global system of which we all live under male rule. And homophobia is related to contempt and disdain for that which is feminine because straight men get more upset with gay male sexuality usually than with lesbianism. And it's the perceived femininity or weakness, quote, in men that makes them get unnerved and sometimes violent. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Gabriel, will you answer that question for me? Define homophobia. So a lot of my work really surrounds looking at um, sociopolitical determinants that influence rates of HIV AIDS amongst black gay men. And so homophobia is one of those social determinants. And so for me, homophobia shows up as not just a sociocultural thing, but it's also sociopolitical. It's institutional as well. So it's like looking at the lack of non-discrimination laws or employment protection that's for people in the LGBT community in some, some states. Um, it's a lack of invested resources into sexual health services for black gay men. Um, it's a lack of housing, employment opportunities, and protections for people in the trans community. Um, so for me, homophobia shows up. Um, its definition for me takes on more of a political, 
sociopolitical personification. Um, and I see it reflected in our policies, our laws, our regulations that we have that discriminate and marginalize LGBT people. It also manifests in the shortening, uh, or actually the lengthening of basketball shorts. Remember when they were back with Dr. J? Those shorts were uh, short, right. but you know <laughs> they had to lengthen them because women were wearing short shorts. So it shows up everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Omar, why don't you please define for me and everyone else, what is homophobia? Homophobia for me is um, when you, uh, when someone looks at someone and they hate on them or they fear them simply because of the way they act, the way they talk. I think it goes beyond being gay. I think that um, even if a straight person walks a certain way, um, has a certain way of, of being, if they fit these stereotypes of what is uh, considered to be a gay man, they can also... Um, be hated on, you know, and um, be subject to homophobic views. I'm going to answer that question because I think it's important that we know where I'm coming from on it. For me, homophobia is any action, reaction, or word that makes anyone in the LGBTQ community feel less than fabulous. Mm. Do I need to say that again? Come on, say it again. <laughs> say it again for us. Homophobia is any action reaction or statement that makes anyone in the LGBTQI community feel less than fabulous. I like that. Right on? So uh, we are going to now start talking to Dr. Sylvia Rue, who has just done so many amazing things for the community. Dr. Sylvia Rue, are you on the phone with me still? Yes, I am. Fantastic. Now, why don't you tell everyone who you are and a little bit about your background, because we're going to be talking about religion and sexuality. I think they need to know who you are and your expertise. Okay, well, <clears throat> uh, I'm a writer. I'm a licensed clinical social... Well, I have a license in clinical social work. I have a doctorate in human sexuality. I'm the first African-American to get that degree. Uh, I'm a religious scholar. I'm a filmmaker um, and uh, animal rescuer. Wow, fantastic. So you not just only help humans, you help animals. I like Absolutely. that. <laughs> uh, Dr., will you please do me a favor and define sexuality? Well, sexuality <laughs> has a lot of definitions. Um, it's an inborn drive to, to connect and communicate, to receive pleasure from touch, especially genital pleasure, it's, uh, it can be about reproduction. It's in uh, the animal world, the human world, it's in the plant world. It is, I think, actually, I think it's um, a gift from God. And <clears throat> too many religious people feel that um, God was uh, like taking a coffee break when, and I'm using this metaphorically, of course. Because <laughs> Starbucks made, wasn't around. Right, when he made humans. And that uh, when he took a coffee break, Satan came in and put the genitals in. So uh, sexuality is God's idea, and God's, um, it's God's imagination and God's thoughts manifested in the human form. So it's also a biological drive, it's an emotional drive, it's a spiritual drive, and it is, um, for some people, a biological imperative. Fantastic. Now, for those people who do not believe in God, because religion comes in a lot with sexuality. Which came first, sexuality or religion? Our religion was really down the list of being invented by humans. 
sexuality is first because um, people, you know, the, the first humans are from Africa, and they were sexual, and they reproduced. A small tribe of Africans decided to leave the continent, the motherland of Africa, and they, their progeny are who we are today. They populated the world. In the meantime of their journeys, they also created religion, but sex came first. Fantastic. So then religion is actually applying rules to something that was there before them. Right. Okay. Or just... some people say it's just guilt with different holidays. <laughs> <laughs> and wardrobe and accessories, I have to say. That's right. So <laughs> in your definition of sexuality, you kind of covered this, but I'd like to ask you more clearly is sexuality or sexual orientation a choice? No. Sexual orientation is not a choice. It's unchosen, unbidden, and uh, morally neutral phenomena within human and animal species. So it's not a choice. And, and how do you know that? Uh, because we ask people, did you choose to be straight? Did you choose to be gay? And they said no. I mean... People just do not choose. It's beyond our capacity as humans to choose our orientation. And we can choose to press it down, deny it, and say that's not our orientation. We can choose that. But it's not within our human capacity as mere mortals to actually choose our orientation. Can it be changed? Well, you know, Michael Jackson was born a black man and died a... Uh, very light-skinned person, but it would have to take that kind of uh, <clears throat> kind of uh, trauma to the psychic to change. Uh, there's no reason to change. I, I, I happen to personally before agree. I get a change, I'd have to find for what reason. I mean, I I'm African American. I would never change that. Although I know there's privileges to not having uh, to having white skin, but I still wouldn't change. It's that intrinsic. Exactly, exactly. What are some of the ramifications of denying one's true, authentic sexuality? Well, at the most extreme, suicide. Okay. And then you have the self-loathing, uh, self-trauma, self-hatred. And it's, uh, there's nothing positive about denying your true self. Liberation comes from accepting who you are authentically and living an authentic life. There's nothing more powerful than living an authentic life. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, so what would you say is the current state of relations between the straight black community and the gay black community? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Things got better with uh, President Obama uh, giving his blessing to um, same gender loving people. And with the laws and the work he's done and his, uh, his administration in terms of bringing LGBT rights to the forefront more and giving us really some concrete progress, um, homophobia in the black community diminished greatly, I think. I think it was probably, and the homophobia in the black straight community generally stems from religious upbringing, religious notions. One need not be a churchgoer in the black community to be churched. 
because usually um, the family uh, brings uh, religious influences, and um, still the majority of black people have some religious uh, training and religious experience. And uh, the problem with uh, homophobia in the black community is related to literalism, biblical literalism and biblical illiteracy. So that's a bad combination. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, Will you define what those two things are? Because I think that's important to really grasp. Uh, I was raised in a church that a Seventh-day Adventist that said the Bible was inerrant, and that's what biblical literalism is. Every word that's written in the Bible is true and written or inspired by God. So you take it literally. Um, Biblical illiteracy is an American phenomenon. It might be a worldwide phenomenon. Definitely an American phenomenon where people actually don't know the Bible, haven't read it to be literate enough in it, quote things that aren't in the Bible. I, I remember being on the radio with uh, KJLH, and the woman said, love the sinner, not the sinner. I said, well, that's not in the Bible. She said, yes, it is. I said, go find it. She couldn't because it's not in the Bible. Right. And so they will quote you things that they... In fact, when I challenge people, when they want to come to me with uh, religious biblical quotes, by the time I get to my third question, they've said to me, oh, well, whatever, because they, their, their theology is three questions deep. Right, right, right. Uh, so basically they're just repeating things that they've been told, which have been, uh, it's like the telephone game. You know, yeah, you whisper something exactly. in someone's ear, and by the time it gets to the end of the line, it's nothing like it, what it's supposed to be. Right, and then they don't know about um, human enough about human sexuality and sexual orientation, and so that's those are two illiteracies that we're dealing with, uh, both biblical and sexual illiteracy. Yes. Now, going to religion, there are many yeah. different religions that are practiced on the planet. There are many within Christianity. There's thirty-six thousand different denominations. Wow, wow. Are some religions more homophobic? I would say uh, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism are the, the, the three um, <clears throat> patriarchal uh, monotheistic religions. And I don't know enough about... Um, I know that Buddhism is not that homophobic. Uh, I can't. I don't know enough about Hinduism to say whether it is or not. Right. But I know I'm. I'm. I know about the monotheistic religions, and uh, they're exceptionally homophobic. And once again, that goes back to some contempt. Well, a, a feeling that you must increase the tribe and uh, notions of women's uh, control of women and contempt for women and uh, and fear of sexuality. And you were, pardon me, go ahead. To bring, to bring things down to a nutshell, but go ahead. <laughs> it gets down to uh, men needing to feel like men, but there's not really a positive definition of what it means to be a man or what it means to be, well, of course, to be a man, but to be masculine. Uh, yes. Do you know a definition of masculinity that tells men how to be masculine? Oh, that's a good question. Exactly. There, I don't. There isn't one. It's always non, non-feminine, non-feminine in well, this way. Well, you know, I did. A, I, I, I live in the Bay Area, and I picked a young gay man 
who was homeless, been kicked out of his home for being gay. I, I, I literally picked him up, put him in a house, paid his rent, put him through school, housed him. Um, and I was telling him what men do. And we expect men to be have integrity and be honest and have a firm handshake. And so I was kind of giving him 101 with my male friends from my church uh, because he didn't understand a lot of things. But uh, I, I don't think there's anything, you know, because women should also have integrity and, and be honest and have a firm handshake. Absolutely. So, yeah, that, that's a difficult thing. And it's one of the, there's a crisis of masculinity in America, but that's another topic. Yes, it is. Uh, in, a, in, in a country where everyone is supposed to have freedom of religion, what is this phenomena with people feeling as though they are supposed to push their religion onto other people and have other people live by those rules? Well, because they feel, as a per- I was raised in that kind of church, uh, the feeling is if you do not tell people uh, about your particular religion, they're going to go to hell. And so what they feel they're saving you. I get it. Uh, yeah, by the way, have you heard the news, news and religion? No. The, Unitar- the Unitarians and the Jehovah's Witnesses have merged. Mm. Yeah, it's big news. They still come to your front porch, but with nothing particular to say. <laughs> <laughs> that you are hilarious. Uh, a lot of the people in the gay community have to deal with religion as in their daily lives, whether it's oppressive or trying to achieve it. Uh, in terms of us trying to come together as a community, what would you, you know, what advice do you give? Can you give people? in terms of how to overcome religion with regards to joining together? Well, that's what my church does. I'm with uh, the Fellowship of Affirming Ministries uh, with Bishop Yvette Flunder, and that's that's what we do every day, all the time. And uh, we're making inroads into the straight community, Um, and this this is our mission. It's what we do, and it's all about living an authentic life and being honest with yourself and with others, and being and knowing you're we're uh, a child of God, and that um, we're made of stardust, and we're important, and our lives have meaning, and that we're worthy of love. Yes, indeed. I always tell people, don't hate me. Let's find you, Dr. Sylvia Rue. I want to thank you for spending time with us. Uh, is there information, like contact information, if people wanted to reach out to you or learn more about you? Do you have uh, ways of them doing that? Oh. Well, to Facebook page, Twitter. I, I'm on. I'm on Facebook. Fantastic! It's Dr. Sylvia Rue. Right, and by the way, my power came back on. So, is there any way I can call in? Uh, yeah, we're going to actually take a break right now. When we come back, we are going to be talking to Gabriel Maldonado, and uh, we'll be fine. We'll get back in touch with you. Okay. Bye. We never spend time talking to you. So we figure we lay it on you, let you know how we feel about love. Mm-hmm. Paint a pretty smile each day. Loving is a blessing, yeah. Never let it fade away. It's all about love, yeah. Build yourself a true romance. Beauty that's around you, yeah. You deserve just one more chance, my dear, my dear. Mm. 
Welcome back. This is Vosh Bodhi. You're listening to Outside the Dream, a show about homophobia within the black community. We were talking to Dr. Sylvia Rue about religion and sexuality, and now we are back, and we have Gabriel Maldonado, who is here. Gabriel is founder and executive director of The Evolution, uh, True Evolution, I'm sorry, an organization that does such amazing things for the community. I'm going to let Gabriel talk to you about who he is and what he's done, and then we are going to get into it. Sure. Thank you so much for having me, by the way. I really appreciate it. Um, So I am the executive director and CEO of True Evolution. We are an LGBT justice and HIV AIDS advocacy organization located in Riverside, California. Um, I also serve on the Presidential Advisory Council for HIV and AIDS, appointed by the U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services. Um, And I am a facilitator and consultant on the My Life, My Style program for In the Meantime Men's Group here in Los Angeles that focuses on black gay men between the ages of 18 and 29 years old. So I'm just very, very uh, privileged to have these kinds of opportunities to work on behalf of black gay men um, locally and around the country. So. Since this show is about homophobia within the black community, what is going on with black people? Like, why are we in this place where we just don't love each other and work together? So I don't necessarily believe that. I don't think that we don't work together and that we don't love uh, love each other. Um, I think that how homophobia or how division shows up within our own communities differs depending on the context, the environment, the circumstances in which um, we're we're contextualizing our communities. So, for instance, the Black Lives Matter movement has done amazing things. Started by by lesbian women, right? right? Has done amazing things to kind of bridge this conversation between um, sexuality and gender. Now we see trans lives matter is a new hash is a big hashtag that's going around LGBT lives matter. Um, And it's just this notion of that people of color, black people, matter and whatever subgroups that we come from or whatever subpopulations we may belong to or whatever communities we may belong to within that, um, that we can come together and we can we can rally around the celebration of us as black people. I do want to point out that throughout, you know, especially recent civil rights history, uh, LGBTQ people have been really at the forefront of these actions. You know, Bayard Rustin organizing the 1961 March on Washington. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we had a, a black woman, actually trans man, really, who threw the first punch in Stonewall. And, you know, we have the three lesbians who started Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. But the fact that even within the black community, we have to then say gay Black Lives Matter or trans, mm-hmm. you know, uh, shows that that distinction that there are certain people who are just trying to really say that being black and gay does not work for them. Um, why would we, you know, what are the implications of working together as black men and gay black men? Like, why, what's happening there? So, I mean, we all have to keep in mind that we are intersectional people, right? So yes. I'm not just a black man. You know, I am I am an openly gay Afro-Latino who was born from a single mother um, who is living with HIV. I'm openly transparent about 
being HIV positive. So I, I'm an intersectional person with so many different facets and aspects to my life. Um, and so I think the reason why you see different types of movements uh, within the black community, so trans, black trans lives matter, black LGBT lives, black gay men lives matter, right. it's because it's speaking and it's calling upon the beauty um, of us being dynamic, intersectional, complicated, complex people. Um, and everybody just wants the total sum of their identities yeah. to be affirmed, celebrated, and validated. And so that's why we see that. Um, but but I see every day where we have straight allies um, who work very closely with us, even though we do have our own issues and divisions and divisiveness within our own community. But we also see that there is a, a capacity um, and a calling for us to come together. Um, and I do have the privilege to see that around the country. Um, but we could do better. Always. And that's why yeah. we're here trying to talk about it. Sure. Uh, with the work that you do with advocacy, mm -hmm. who are you helping and why do you think you find them there? Ooh. Who are you helping? So, I mean, if you want me to be like specific and really like outline the population that I work with, I, I focus on LGBT youth of color between the ages of 14 to 25 years old. So okay, so you're that, hitting everybody. That's mission statement, right? That's right. just straight mission statement. But I, I like to borrow from the quote from uh, Audre Lorde. She says, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. And, and so for me, when I think of like the master's house, I think of this very large system of oppression that impacts all of us, right? Everyone. And so for me, dismantling homophobia or uh, addressing issues that specifically attack black gay men is not just a service for black gay men. It is a service for all of community. It's a service for all of us because homophobia, what it does is it creates division within the, within the black community, which weakens our collective power. It dims our light. It stifles our voice and it, it, it harms all all of us. Yes. Um, so, you know, I have a philosophical answer to your question, but specifically I work with LGBT youth of color between th 14 to 25 years old. Would you like to give me your philosophical answer? I like those. <laughs> <laughs> so, so again, it, it's kind of what I said about, you know, um, we are a collective light, you know, as a community. Right. Um, and so when we allow misogyny, you know, or patriarchy to oppress women, um, when we allow homophobia that impacts people in the LGBT community, when we allow institutionalized racism um, or religious fundamentalism to oppress any, anyone in our community, it harms all of us. And so my advocacy and my activism really focuses on dismantling imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist, patriarchal systems of oppression, right? right. And that's very big and, and grand. But I like to think that when I'm going into my work and my advocacy, I'm not just thinking from the lens of how do I help black gay men, but I'm thinking how can I show up in some way for trans women of color? How can I show up in some way for my lesbian sisters? How can I show up in some way for the bisexual community, for people with HIV, for people without HIV, regardless of what your serial status may be? I like to think that I try my very best to live my activism and to show it up into the world, um, advocating on behalf of us all in my own little way, right? Well, it's it's quite grand. I mean, you've done quite a bit. You want to talk about some of the moments you're really proud of in your journey to be where you are because you're fantastic. So I would say that 
one of the things that I'm, I'm going to take away from my work in advocacy has really been my experiences with my life, my style. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a behavioral intervention um, that was created. It's homegrown, created by, uh, in the meantime, men's group under the leadership of their executive director, Jeffrey King. Um, and that experience working with black gay men in Los Angeles over the last two years, for me, has been one of the most empowering, enlightening, self-aware experience that I've ever had in my life. And just to have a closer connection to other black gay men through that behavioral intervention has truly changed my life and it has informed every bit of the work that I do today. Um, and the, the, the window dressing to all of that is, of course, serving on the President's Advisory Council, which was an amazing honor. Being an executive director of my own organization, that is a true honor. And just having the opportunity to be in spaces like this, right, here, these are blessings. But at the core of what I feel grateful for, it's just for, in the meantime, allowing me to uh, co-create that experience and work with uh, My Life, My Style program that, that really has blessed me a lot. As we try to move forward in bridging and bringing community, uh, people often talk about not being able to legislate morality or legislate behavior. Sometimes it's required to get people to behave properly with one another. Um, Speech, especially. People say that they want and should feel as though they can say whatever they want. How do you feel about that notion of free speech, being able to say anything you want even if it hurts someone? Uh, that's a hard question to answer because I do believe, you know, obviously free speech is um, a amazing legislative constitutional right that we are given um, that so many nations do not have. Uh, and that has afforded us the opportunity to speak on issues that historically we would have never been able to speak on. Um, however, I see every day, I mean, it's something that Dr. Sylvia Rue alluded to earlier about how suicide sometimes is a ramification of oppressing one's identity and suppressing one's identity. And so many times I see a lot of young black gay men who suppress their identity because they are oppressed in their communities. They are oppressed by what they hear from their pastors on the pulpit. They're oppressed by what they hear their legislators say from the dais. And so words, even by people that are those that are supposed to lead us in our community. Words have a profound and deep power to either uplift us or destroy us internally. And that has a cost. And a lot of what you do somewhat monetizes that in terms of you can measure. Talk about some of these costs of homophobia. So some of the costs of homophobia is um, that uh, we lose our collective power as a people, right? Black votes are obviously already something that we struggle for. Disenfranchisement in the black community is is at its highest. Um, how we so easily criminalize people and then in many parts of the South that they strip them of their ability to vote. So um, homophobia is just another instrument. I call it an instrument of white supremacy. Homophobia is an instrument that um, yanks our community apart from within um, And it propagandizes us into believing that we are somehow different and that we cannot come to a consensus on things, that we that we can't come together, that there's a you and a them, you know, a me and a a, a them. Um, And it's othering. It's othering people. 
larger. Of course, homophobia is destructive and it rips communities apart. It rips families apart. It kicks young boys out on the street at 14 years old. It, in some parts of the world, homophobia shows up a lot worse with death squads and mm-hmm. corrective rape against mm-hmm. women. So it shows up even more violently in other countries. But for me, it's just an instrument that divides our community and creates division within the black community. Now, we know that there's a large number, a large percent of children who are homeless because they have come out and they're LGBT. Do you know what percentage of those children would be actually of from the black community? Ooh, you know, I don't, I don't know that statistic specifically within the black community. Uh, but I do know that uh, LGBT youth of color have significantly higher rates uh, of being homeless. They have significant higher rates of uh, sexual assault. They have significant higher rates of experiencing uh, uh, human trafficking, um, either survival sex or it's coercive. But LGBT youth of color um, are some of our most vulnerable. Most vulnerable. Most vulnerable. And our black trans people are especially vulnerable and they're being killed off in numbers that exceed statistically what they should be. We, I think we are just barely scratching the, the surface, surface on yeah. the conversation about black trans lives. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just amazing for people who really know the history of the black LGBT community. The black LGBT community was carried, carried by trans lives. Yes. Like carried by yeah. trans, carried by trans lives. They were our, our mothers. They were our fathers when we didn't have any. They were the ones who created our communities. They were the first people who were on the picket line for always, us. Always, always. Um, and so I think now we're just barely scratching the conversation about trans lives and the, the invisibility that people have tried to place on the trans community. And so for me, I try not to speak on behalf because I am not trans, right? Exactly. But I but I am here for my trans brothers and sisters and whatever I can do to to help facilitate a platform for them or to help just be that shoulder for them or to get the hell out of the way. Sometimes you just need to get up out of the way. And um, make a sandwich. And make a sandwich and just let them <laughs> let them let them advocate for themselves and whatever I can do to to be an instrument for that, I, I totally um, uh, welcome. Why don't you give us the contact information for you and your organization so people can reach out to you? Sure. So if anyone wants to find us, they can go to our website. It's www.trueevolution.org, T-R-U-E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N, trueevolution.org. Well, I want to thank you for talking to me today and spending time here. We're going to get back at the end of the show because I still have a few more things we're going to talk about. But we're going to take a quick break. Quick little dance break, get everybody moving. Come back, because we're about to hear from Omar Hassan, who is actually in the trenches with gay black men, and he's going to share some stories with you that I think you need to hear. Be right back. Sometimes I'm right, and I can be wrong. My own beliefs are in my song. The Welcome back. This is Vosh Bodhi, and you are listening to 
Outside the Dream, a very special broadcast here today. We've been talking to Dr. Sylvia Rue. We've been talking to Gabriel Maldonado about homophobia within the black community. Now we're about to talk to Omar Hassan, who is a coordinator. You actually run some of the workshops with, in the meantime, servicing men here in Los Angeles from age 14 up to however they, old they can be and still walk in the door, I'm assuming. There we go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, Omar? Okay. Well, I work for In the Meantime Man's Group. Um, in the Meantime has been around for around 18 years now. Thank you. Thank you. Um, in the Meantime has been around for around 18 years now. Um, we have several programs that focus on the wellness of black gay men in Los Angeles County. Um, one of the programs is the NIA Project, and NIA means purpose in Swahili. And I am actually the project coordinator for the NIA Project. And basically, we focus on um, different issues, um, different issues in the black community and the gay black community. Um, we also talk about different cofactors that drive uh, HIV, like um, internalized homophobia. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Will you do me a favor? Will you define your sexuality? Like, how do you identify yourself? Well, I myself, I have no problem calling myself a gay male. Um, I am a gay man, and I have no problem with that. Um, a lot of black gay men have an issue with that and um, from doing the work I've learned that and in a lot of cases rightfully so you know um, unfortunately especially in the black community we take um, someone's um, titles their personality we take a lot out of the way and they become the gay man you know and a lot of us fear that so um, that's why a lot of us uh, fear the, the, the gay label myself I really don't care what someone says about me or how they feel about me. Um, if you're not in my circle of people that I love and trust, you're not paying my bills. Um, <laughs> I really don't um, have an issue with you calling me a gay man. Is that a status thing? Is it a sexuality limitation thing? What, what's, what's with being called gay? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of negativity, that uh, a lot of stuff that uh, people hold on to, a lot of homophobic views that people have around the, the gay label, especially in the black community, you know. Um, like what things? Well, for example, um, you're not a man, you know. Um, you're not looked at as a masculine man. You're not looked at as a man that uh, that can take care of things, you know, be in, in charge, be in power. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anybody who has ever walked around in a pair of heels, I think, can do pretty much anything, <laughs> and that re- regardless of what your gender is. And I, I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> so how does it feel? At the top of the show, we played some clips. If you can hear some people saying some things about gay black men. How does it feel to hear those negative statements coming from within your own community? Personally, it hurts. It hurts me, personally. Um, I know as black people, we have so much to fight for so much to, to, to strive for. And when, um, when straight um, black people um, are shooting out these negative views, it divides us, you know? Um, it, it prevents us from coming together and fighting for something so much greater. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, your workshops, define those, describe those. I wanna feel like I'm in one. Yes. <laughs> Well, um, the workshop, um, like you said earlier, is for black gay men of all ages, um, all walks of life. Um, It's a three-day discussion group. And basically, we use that time for, it's basically for black gay men. You know, it's for them to come together and bring up different issues that they have within their cells or within our community. 
you know. So we throw out different things out there to talk about, but um, that's basically to start the discussion, spark the conversation. And build trust. Uh, it takes a lot for people to really get past, you know, these walls that we build within ourselves because of the homophobia. So to then to get in contact with, to, to get to our authentic self can sometimes be a challenge. So that's why the three days. Very true, very true. Why do you think these, or why do you find that these workshops are needed? They are needed because um, to this day, as a black gay man, we don't have places to go, a safe place to go and just be, you know, um, and talk to others that have so many things in common. Um, we we focus on trying to sometimes um, hide in a straight world. So, you know, um, in the meantime, Men's Group and the NIA Project provides that place for you to come and just be yourself and let's talk. When you said safe, what do you mean by safe? Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's a place where you know you can come and you have other gay black brothers that are there. And um, you're supported. You know, you're needed and you're wanted. Fantastic. And these are things that these men are saying they don't get outside. Right, right. Um, in a lot of cases, um, in their homes, um, their families don't approve of, of being gay or bisexual, you know, so they can't... Um, Go home and, and get it, you know, get that safe place. Um, are we talking also, aside from emotional, are we also talking physical safety? In some cases, yes, um, especially in certain neighborhoods. Um, a lot of my guys um, that grow up in the hood, for example, you know, it's, it's not safe to sometimes um, walk down the street, you know. Um, it's not safe just to be their self. That physical danger is there. Really? Yes. Do you have any stories you can share about the abuses and mistreatments that gay black men have experienced from the black community? Well, I have um, had several guys in my group that, um, like I said, for example, I'm just walking down the street just being yourself. Um, you know, uh, they might have a little switch to them. You know, just just being yourself, you know, and they were jumped, you know, by mm-hmm. several guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ha- that happened repeatedly, um, just to one person repeatedly throughout the year. Um, I know one guy that um, unfortunately... He was jumped like three times Wow! in the same year. Do you have stories or any examples of the opposite of when someone in the black community has actually come to the aid of an LGBT person? Yes, yes. Uh, actually, in my last group, um, an older gay black man saw a group of boys um, about to jump, a younger um, black man. And he jumped in. He totally jumped in. And, and he said, you know what? This is not going to happen right now. Um, this is my brother. And um, and this is why you guys are hating on him. You know, he he broke it down that a lot of the stuff that you're feeling is just stuff that you have within yourself. You kind of see um, a lot of things that you can't confront so it, within this person. So you basically are trying to hurt him because of it. So, yeah, the Neo Project has a lot of different la- uh, levels at that. Uh, it brings out empowerment in people. And I'm, I've noticed that. Fantastic. It does sound like it's a successful program. It is, yes. Wow. Uh, so is there really a status difference and is the driving thing a feminine versus masculine? Is, is that a big thing within the black gay community as well as just the black community that you see? That is big in the black wow. community and well, okay. uh, the black gay community is huge. Um, actually, I was talking to Gabe about this not too long ago. Um, myself, I've struggled with that. You know, um, I grew up, um, really not trying to identify as 
a gay man, you know, mm. in school. You know, I, I was the one that was basically, I'm not gay. You know, don't look at me. I'm not going to do any of this stuff that is considered to be gay, you know, because um, I didn't want to fight. I didn't want to uh, be called names, you know. So um, it's huge in the gay black community. Um, the Feminine guys, you know, they can't hide, mm-hmm. you know. They are seen. They're visible. You know, a lot of us that are, quote, unquote, masculine, you know, we we can hide, you know. So that's where it all comes from. What would be your dream for the relationship between straight black and gay black people? Mm. <laughs> I'm just going to say unity. <laughs> Come together. And I think one of the things that can help that happen is really people acting like community. You said that. Mm-hmm. If you see something, say something. We will only continue to treat each other with uh, disrespect if we allow it to continue. So if you see something, you say something. Uh, Omar, I want to thank you for talking to me and for sharing your stories. I love what you do, and I know you are making a difference. Thank you. Thank Thank you you. very much. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to everybody for a quick second as we figure out how to mend and come together as a community. Thank you. Welcome back. This is Vosh Bodhi, and you're listening to Outside the Dream, a special broadcast here on KPFK. I have with me Omar Hassan, Gabriel Mondonaldo, and we still have on the phone, if I am not mistaken, Dr. Sylvia Rue. Yeah. Yeah, I want to thank you guys. I think we covered a lot of really pretty amazing things in terms of the relationship between gay black people and straight black people and the rest of the black community. I really do hope that everyone who is listening will actually help increase the love that I know we all have for one another. I want to ask you guys, if you could say anything as a black gay person to the black community, what would you say to help heal, to help us get to a place of unity? I would say. And this is Omar. (laughs) (laughs) That we are different for a reason. We all are different for a reason. We're supposed to learn from these differences. We're supposed to grow as human beings from these differences. We're not supposed to hate each other for our differences. So I would say um, to, the, to the black community, let's please learn and love from our differences and grow. Fantastic. Exactly. Exactly. I always tell people, I'm like, there are so many different types of tomatoes. What makes you think we're supposed to all be the same as human beings? <laughs> uh, Gabriel, do you have any? Well, I'm a little bit of an old school activist. So me, I, my statement is that we are here. Yes. And that we are your brothers and your sisters. We are your mothers, your fathers, your uncles. We are 
We are your pastors. We are your uh, choir yes, directors. Yes. We are we are your shop owners. We are your legislators. We are in your community. We are here. We are an everyday part of your life. And to separate us or to marginalize us uh, hurts yourself. Mm-hmm. It hurts you and it, and it, and it, it tears apart at the integrity of our community, of our people as a black community. Yes. Putting energy into someone else keeps you from exploring mm-hmm. and becoming who you truly are mm-hmm, supposed to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dr. Rue, are you with us? Will you tell me, yes, what, what, what would you like to say to the black community? Just um, that part of the problem is systems of hyper-religiosity that divide us. And if we could overcome those barriers by understanding people, listening to the people, reading, studying things, and just putting yourself in a position of seeing the other person as a human that is adored by God, and that it's not productive to have hateful attitudes for other people for who they are and who they were born. So let's try to be more productive and have more communication and reach out to each other. Yeah, I definitely believe that. And to understand that the struggle for equality within the gay community is equal to. Uh, I remember when Proposition 8 passed and uh, I made my sign because I was going to go protest and my sign said gay is the new black. And that sparked such a controversy. But it is. So everyone is in the same line to get... The struggle for equal rights for LGBT people and questioning is part of the unfinished business of the civil rights movement. This is part of the civil rights movement. And I was with Martin Luther King, and I know he would stand with us today. Well, yes, indeed, because he stood, we stood with him, uh, actually organized the march. Bayard Rustin organized right. that march. So, right. yeah, we were so much better when we worked together. In closing, do any of you have any other thoughts that you'd like to share with anybody about who we are as people? I mean, Gabriel, you told us, we are everywhere. We are everyone. We might even be a part of you. And it's just really important for us to stay connected to one another. Um, Dr. Shu, you mentioned earlier gender and same gender loving. We got to a place within our conversation where we started to talk about trans. I want to ask you just briefly, can you tell me what gender, what is gender? If I gave you a definition, someone would come up with a different definition because the definition I was given 30 years ago when I was getting my doctorate has changed. But I will say this, that what people don't understand is when LGB people come out of the closet, they aren't trained as to what it means to be transgender. So a lot of people in the lesbian, gay, and bisexual community are just as much at sea about transgender issues as other people are, and that we have to know that transgender people are part of us, part of our community, and that we have to learn about it, be more understanding and knowledgeable, because there's no differences. These are all false differences and false fences that society puts up to divide us. And I, you know, I just had to make sure that I do represent the trans community because if gay black men have it tough, trans people in our community have it uber, uber tough. And I'd like to make sure that we do make sure we have got to protect us all. But specifically, we have got to make sure that the level of respect that we give to the trans community, because 
To be your authentic self takes Trans so much courage. Trans women are the most attacked, the most murdered, the most in danger. Yes. Yes, they are. They're being killed almost every day. Yes, they are. Now, Gabriel, what do you see happening, you know, in terms of protections for trans people coming through? Oh, wow. Well, I do see, uh, at least I, I work closely, like I said, in the HIV AIDS field. Right. Um, and I do see that there are a lot of uh, grants and resources. There's a, an entire strategy uh, that's beginning to center around looking at how do we address determinants of health uh, that's bes- that disproportionately impact trans women. Um, and so I, I am seeing a, 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 the beginning conversations mm-hmm. uh, of greater investment in resources, of looking at how do we do stigma reduction, not only around HIV and reducing stigma, but how do we look at it from a sexuality and gender perspective as well? I think that we still are not nearly where we need to be as far as employment protection, about extending housing protection um, for the trans community, nowhere near where we should be. I'm really, really looking forward to seeing if 2016, if we can continue on this tidal wave that we're currently on in, in beginning to have those conversations around the trans community. And I'm hoping to actually see tangible and actionable results uh, from those conversations next year. Fantastic. And Omar, your groups in the meantime, are trans people welcome to come? Or is if not, are there other resources like yours for trans people Oh, yes. Uh, trans uh, people are definitely welcome. Um, we have a group that happens every Tuesday, um, Brothers Reaching Brothers. So it's different topic, different facilitator every Tuesday. So everyone is actually welcome to come. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank all three of you, Omar, Hassan, Gabriel Mandanalo, and Dr. Sylvia Rue. I want to thank you so much for making this program even more than I had hoped that it would be. You have helped us all, and I really, really appreciate it. This is Vash Bodhi. I just want to just tell everyone that we're all magical beings. We resonate in love. When we resonate together, we are magic. Let's come together. Work our magic. Bye, everybody. Just begun to get our share of this world's deal.
inside.